Well, good evening. Welcome back. Thank you for coming back. I don't know about the rest of you, but I enjoy it when we get a song leader from another place that we break in around here. Uh, we get to see some things that we haven't sung that we don't know. And it reminds me all the time how used to things we get and how we got our little thing that we're comfortable with. And uh, some of those that Carl led were, man, they had some good words in them and uh, great thoughts and uh, didn't sing them very well, but I, I don't sing any of them very well. It didn't matter how long, how long I've known them, but uh, uh, I, I enjoyed that to find some new ones and hear some new ones. That last one, in fact, he sung one that I knew and I didn't know, so that was, that was a really good song. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever sung the whole thing or not. I knew the first part of it real well, but uh, good stuff in there. In fact, one of them he led, I noticed down in the bottom, it was written, written in the Dark Ages. Francis of Assisi wrote that one. We have to get which number, but uh, to think that back then there were a few people that had access to God's Word and could study it and know about it, and the vast majority knew nothing of it, and uh, maybe learned all they knew from a song like that. So I enjoy it when we get a new song leader. But we'll have him broke in. He'll be down to the few. <laughs> no. No, hopefully we can expand our repertoire. And it's part of what next Sunday night will be about, by the way, uh, singing practice next Sunday night, and I think that's a lot more important than we uh, currently treat it, perhaps. I think we ought to work a lot harder on our singing and our repertoire. All right, let's uh, talk about creation. Let's go back to the very start. If you're with us tonight and haven't been in on this series, uh, this is the fourth Sunday, so we may have some small group folks here. and uh, We've been looking at things this year on Sunday night that people wonder about the Bible and the last few weeks we've been on the topic of creation, uh, what people wonder about that, and we've done a two or three, less, three lessons. Uh, last time we went through the creation account uh, itself, the six days of creation, the day of rest, all of that. Uh, chapter 2 retells that story, retells the story of the creation of man, if you will. Uh, the first chapter is the... The, the big picture of how the universe was created that mentions the creation of man. But then chapter 2 says, now these are, these are the generations. This is how man developed. And it starts with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and then the fall. And that's how the generations of man began. Uh, chapter 3 goes to a completely different uh, topic, if you will. This is when evil appears. In chapter 1, everything else appeared, uh, land and water and creatures and man and all of that. Uh, there wasn't any evil until chapter 3. The creation account in verses of chapter 1 and 2, however long that lasted, and we have no idea how many years that carried on. But during that time, there was no disorder, no chaos, no conflict, no struggle, no pain, no discord, no deterioration, no death. Perfect world. Like the Garden of Eden, you'd almost say, wouldn't you? Uh, everything was perfect. Went fine. Until we got to chapter 3. Evil enters in chapter 3, 
And then things go downhill real quick. Uh, I made a quick list there of things that happened in the next few chapters. And we don't know how long chapter 1 and 2 were, but uh, after chapter 3, it wasn't a very long time, I don't think, till we got to the point where God finally said he was going to destroy everything. But murder appears in chapter 4. Polygamy appears in chapter 4. Homosexuality in chapter 19. Incest in 19. Idolatry in 31. Rape in 34. Prostitution in 38. Uh, Once evil entered, it headed things downhill very quickly. Uh... The big picture of that, or perhaps what we ought to, one message we ought to take out of that, since we spent a couple of weeks talking about creationism and evolutionism, uh, this is another disproof of evolution. Uh, Evolution contends that we are continually improving, that man started at the bottom as some kind of slimy creature, basically, and grew to be somebody that had thought processes and could think and imagine and and all of that and would continually improve. Uh, By chance, I admit, the evolutionists say, uh, but that's what it contends. If you read the first few chapters of Genesis, uh, it's just backwards. From that. In Genesis, it says man started at the top and goes down. Man started created in the image of God. And once evil came into his life, began to affect him, once he chose to do wrong, to do evil, uh, it's been declining ever since. Uh, put Second Timothy 3.13 as a reference there for you. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, man goes from bad to worse. That's just the way the world works. Uh, So you think it's bad today, it's going to be worse next week. That's kind of the trend we humans take because of evil in our lives. Uh, We're made in the image of God, but we're fallen now. The fall occurs in chapter 3, and that's what we want to spend tonight talking about is uh, the fall and some of the lessons from it, uh, because I think it teaches us a lot about Individual falls, uh, individual sins and evil and the, the, the consequences and all that. So, let's look at the, the fall. People wonder a lot about the serpent. Uh, let's talk about him first. We get questions about that. Was that really Satan? Was it really a snake? Whatever. Uh, the terms, once you find them all in the Bible and put them all together... Uh, make pretty good sense. Uh, sometimes he's called the devil. Uh, that's a Greek word that means to slander or to falsely accuse, which is what he is. He's the the accuser of the brethren. Satan is a more of a Hebrew word that means the enemy, the adversary, the one that's against us. Uh, Revelation twelve nine puts them all together. Uh, if you wonder. Is Satan the devil? Is the devil uh, the serpent? Is the serpent the dragon? And on and on and on, all those words that are used throughout the Bible. Just go over to Revelation 12, 9, and it clears it up as good as Revelation clears anything up. 
Um, chapter 12, verse 9. The great dragon, who's in this prophecy all through Revelation, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Got all four of them right there. Uh, whichever one you prefer, that's fine. He's pictured, he's called the devil or Satan. He's pictured as a serpent or a dragon. Uh, and his job is, his purpose, his theme of his uh, existence is to lead humans astray. Uh, he was cunning and he deceived Eve. Second Corinthians 11.3 tells us that. And you, you ask, well, how could he be cunning? What, what, what's that mean? Well, 2 Corinthians 11.14 goes on and say that he masquerades as an angel of light. He, he sounds like he's on our side when he approaches. He sounded like he was on Eve's side that day. Exactly what he looked like and all that, I, I don't know for sure about that. I believe he did take the form of a, a serpent and uh, speak to Eve somehow. And it sounded to her... Like he was helpful. Like he wanted her best. Like he wanted what was best for her. He wanted her to be happy. That's a common theme today. Uh, that's people's excuse for a whole lot of things. Well, I thought this would make me happy. Uh, on the other side of it, he's a liar. He's the father of liars, Jesus called him in John eight forty four. And hell has been prepared specifically for him and the angels that followed him, Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Uh, that's who we're dealing with here. Uh, that, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, a month or so ago, about evil in the world and all that. Uh, this is where evil came from. It was when God's will is not done, the absence of doing right, that's evil. Satan made that choice in heaven was cast out of heaven evidently with the angels that went along with him and his rebellion. And he was sentenced to earth and proceeded to try to draw us into his punishment with him. Uh, so that's kind of the basics of him. And I think more important to us is his strategy because uh, uh, he uses the same strategy today. So maybe this will help us figure out how to watch out for Satan. And let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 and look at this strategy. I think it's very illustrative. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say? That's the first question in Scripture, by the way, if you want a trivia question. Uh, the first question in the Bible is Satan the serpent asked Eve, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay? Now, there's, there's one thing we can learn about Satan. Sounds like a good question. Sounds like a perfectly legitimate question. Sounds like he's maybe trying to help her. But do you notice anything about that question? He completely switched 
what God had said. And you don't even notice it if you just read things real quick. But he completely switched the price tags, we talked about that before, on what God said. Okay. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What's the answer to that? Well, no, God didn't tell me that. No, God didn't tell me that. God said we could treat from any tree in the garden except that one over there. That's what God said. But what Satan did was he got Eve to thinking in a whole different picture. He said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? So all of a sudden she's thinking about, God told me I can't have that tree. Before Satan brought this up, before this way of approaching her desire, which we'll get to in a minute, before this came along, I imagine her thought was, look at all these trees we can eat from. We are so blessed. Look at all this. And it all belongs to us, and we can have any of them we want, and we're, we've got domain over it, and, and a positive picture. But Satan comes in and asks this question that he twists just enough to make her start talking about thinking about the, the negative part. And that's kind of human nature. Yeah. If I got up one Sunday morning and said, I've decided that uh, there's one seat there right in front of Jr. nobody can sit in that seat. You can sit anywhere else, but don't anybody sit in that seat. And then just went on about my business. What do you think would happen? People start thinking about that, wouldn't they? Why can't I sit there? Who's he to tell me I can't sit in that one? You completely forget about the fact you got 900 other ones. Yeah? It completely leaves your head. All of a sudden, you're completely focused on that. I'm going to sit in that baby somehow. Yeah? It's just the way we are, I guess. But that's what Satan did. He made her stop thinking about the 900 or 9,000 trees they could eat from. I don't know how many they had. And focus on the one that he said they couldn't. So, focus, perspective, all of that. Satan messes with that. Second thing he did was he attacked the weak point. Uh, First, he started with the woman. He didn't go to Adam first. Now, Adam proves to be weak later, we'll talk about. But he went to Eve first. First uh, Peter three seven says the woman is the weaker vessel. Now I realize that's totally politically incorrect. Uh, it's a whole other topic that we're not going to take time to explain in great detail. Uh, but at least, whatever you believe about that, at least she is the weaker physical vessel in in general. Uh, there's some women I wouldn't want to tackle, but. You know, in general, the weaker vessel. And I think it goes beyond that. I think the Scripture teaches that there's more to it than that. Uh, And whatever it is, it has to do with the fact that the husband and the wife complete each other. The, The husband is weak in some areas, too, and the wife completes that. The wife is weak in some areas, and the husband completes that. 
And like I said, that's another topic. Uh, and if that upsets you and you want to argue about it, go argue with Peter, not with me. Uh, he's the one that said the woman is the weaker vessel. The point is, that's who Satan went after. That's who Satan attacked first and came to her with this question that twisted things and made her think differently about things. Now, what's he come up with next? Uh, well, Eve answered him. Uh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from that tree. It's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Okay. So then Satan twists that. He throws one extra word in, verse 4. He says, you will not surely die. And then he adds some things to it. He says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. Well, some of that's true, and Satan does use some truth. But he mixes in some out-and-out lies because he's the father of liars. Have you ever dealt with a real good liar? Somebody I mean, that can just look you right in the eye and lie through their teeth. I have. You know, uh, there's some people that are just good at that. People addicted are good at that. They've learned how to do that, and they can lie real good. Okay. Think of that, dealing with somebody like that, and there's enough truth in it and all that that you start to believe it. Okay. Well, think of that, and then multiply by whatever it takes to be the father of liars. That's who we're dealing with here. And so here's how he operates. He says, you won't surely die. And God had said flat out, you will surely die. So he calls God a liar. Did did God say this? And he straightens him out and says, no. He said, we could eat of everything except that, and if we eat from that tree, we'll die. He said, no, you won't die. So, subtopic, God's lying to you. God's lying. There's something he's keeping from you. There's something he doesn't want you to know about. In fact, if you do eat from that, you'll be like him. It's not the full truth. Understanding good and evil, yeah, that would come with eating from that tree. But they still wouldn't be God. But that's what Satan slipped in there. Uh, He wants to take your freedom away. You mean he's... 900 trees you can't eat from, one you can't, he's keeping you from something good. There's something special about that one seat there. Something real good about it that I don't want you to know. Yeah, that's the way he got them thinking. Um, there's no authority. God created you and told you this, but he's lying to you, so that there's no authority. You're not going to die. You can be like God. All of a sudden, here's the big lie. Now, had Eve sinned yet? No, hadn't sinned yet. Okay. And sometimes we get temptation equated with sin. It's not sinful to be tempted. We're all tempted. Uh, James explains it, how things work, the process of being drawn into sin. James 1, 13 to 15, you can look that up. It says, first of all, God doesn't tempt you. Make sure you understand that. 
Second, it's individual. It's your own desire. All of us in here have different desires. Different things bother different ones. Okay? Satan knows that. Satan attacks you where your desires are. He attacks me where my desires are. If they're not the same, then he doesn't use the same tactic. Okay? Uh, your own individual desire. You're attracted to something by that. And if you let yourself be drawn that direction, pretty soon you'll sin. If you allow yourself to be enticed that direction, pretty soon you'll sin, and then sin will produce death. Okay, so James explains how that works. Well, we're in the enticing stage now. Eve's own desires, whatever they were, and I think the biggie was she wanted to be like God. That's what Satan used on her. Okay? And that's kind of endemic to humans. We all kind of want to be God. But that's particularly Eve's desire, I think, so that's what Satan used on her. Now, um, the strategy, let's add one thing more, and I know we've been over this before, but First John chapter 2, in my opinion, lists the only three things that Satan has in his arsenal. Uh, John uh, says, all that is in the world, all that's in the world, this is all there is from Satan, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every enticement, every ultimate sin fits in one of those three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. He used, all of them worked on Eve. All, all three of them are represented there. Eve saw that the fruit would be good to eat. That would really taste good, I bet. Looks it's different than all the other fruit. I bet it'd taste better because all the other fruit's good. I bet this one's really good. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. It was pleasing to the eye. This was a beautiful fruit. Don't know what it was. Nobody knows what it was. Most people, painters picture it as an apple. Uh, I think it was prettier than an apple. Yeah. It was special. This was a good looking fruit. She looked at it. That looks pleasing. And thirdly, that'll make me like God. That's what John says is the third category, the pride of life. Your, your own pride, your ego, you wanting to be somebody else better. So all three of them worked on Eve. And while we're on it, those are the exact same three that Satan used on Jesus when he was tempted. Uh, in the desert, Jesus was fasting and praying and all of that. And Satan came, and he tried the first one, lust of the flesh. Aren't you hungry? Why don't you make some bread for yourself? You're hungry. It'd taste good, wouldn't it? Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, you can have all of that. Said, you can have everything. That would look good. All the wealth in the world. And thirdly was the pride of life. He took him up on the pinnacle of the temple and he said, you can rule all this. Yeah, you don't have to do what God's got planned for you. You can be the ruler of the, the whole kingdom, whole creation. You can be the king. All three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's all Satan's got. Uses it every time. 
Used it in Genesis, used it in the desert, still uses it in 2014. He's going to come at you one of those three ways, and probably all three of them, if he can find the right things that, that tempt you. Um, all right, so there's the enticement, the strategy, all of that. Now, the sin. The sin was obviously when she finally ate the fruit, but... What we want to learn about the sin, I think, is a little bigger than that. The Bible says repeatedly in the New Testament that although Eve ate the fruit first, Adam was the one who was guilty, more guilty. They're both guilty. But Adam is the one the New Testament blames. And this, we've got to think through this one a little bit. Go to Romans 5, 12. Uh, well, you don't have to turn there. I'll summarize it for you. When Paul's explaining sin and all of that, he says sin entered the world through Eve. No, he doesn't say that. He says sin entered the world through one man, Adam. That's the one Paul blamed for it. Okay? 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-two, kind of the same topic, but talking about death and resurrection. Paul says again, death entered the world through a man. Adam's the one that caused this problem. Okay? And 1 Timothy 2.14 even gets more explicit and says, um, Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived first and was the sinner. But the whole argument in that chapter is that Adam was responsible. Okay, so we got to understand that. What's why is Adam responsible when Eve was the one that took the bite first and then offered it to him? Well, here's the only way that makes any sense at all is if you read in First Timothy two, the whole chapter is about spiritual male spiritual leadership, okay? and the way Paul explains that is why women are to learn in silence from men in the worship assembly. The way he explains that, he goes back to Genesis 3. This is the original order of things. Part of this completing and part of this arrangement between man and woman is that man is the spiritual leader. He is the head of the house. If that was Adam's responsibility... And it was. Eve was made from his side and given to him. And part of his responsibility was to protect her and to be the spiritual leader of the house. What did he do? Not only, sometimes we picture it like Eve was off running around by herself and Satan got her. If you read the story, it sounds like Adam was right there. Verse 6, when a woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, that's three for three on the biggies, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Adam was there. He let his wife... Do the negotiations with Satan. 
He didn't step in and say, whoa, you're misquoting my God. He didn't step in and say, hold it, Eve, don't listen to him. He's trying to trick us. Here's what God said. That's what male spiritual leadership is about. It's not about domineering. It's not about being not equal. It's not about anything. It's about being responsible for the leadership and the spiritual health of the family. It's not domineering and dictating how much somebody can spend on groceries or anything else. It's about saying when Satan is messing with his family, here's where it stops. This family is going the wrong direction. We're not listening to God right. And I say it's going to stop right here. Adam didn't do that. Adam stood there and listened. Watched. Went along with it. Let Eve sin. And then he said, well... Okay, she's not dead. I guess I can take a bite. I don't know what his reasoning was, but he certainly wasn't leading the house. Okay, so that's why I thought. Well, that's why I know that Paul in the New Testament gave Adam the guilt. It was his responsibility. It was his failure. Yeah, Eve was first, but Adam should have made sure that didn't happen. Okay, real quickly. Once this happened. Then what happened? What are the consequences of sin? Well, of course, this is the first sin, so it had a few extra ones, but let's look at them. I think we'll see the same things in ours, mostly. Chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Shame. First time shame came into the world. Wasn't any shame before. But now that there was sin, there was shame. Chapter 3, verse 10, uh, God, well, they went and hid and because they were ashamed, and God came uh, and called to the man, where are you? And God didn't know where he was. He asked us some questions sometimes just to make us think. So Adam said, I, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The relationship with God was broken. Before this, when God came for his daily walk in the garden, what did Adam and Eve do? <laughs> oh, good to see you again. Uh, let's walk over here. Let me show you what I've done to the trees over in this area. Let me show you how I've tended this and how I've improved this. Let's take a walk. This time he was hiding, not happy to see God. Broken relationship. Yeah. Um. God said in 11, who told you you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Once again, I think God knew the answer to that probably. But he's poking at him a little bit here, making him think. And look at verse 12. 12 is a classic. I love this one. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit. You know, whose, whose fault is this? Well, I think it's 50-50. Half of it's her fault for giving me the fruit. Half of it is you gave me her. You know, so it's your fault. Blame enters the world. I mean, it's still that way today, isn't it? It's never our fault. Always somebody else. 
Well, that's what Adam tried. This woman, you gave me to her. She gave me some fruit, and I ate it. So then it gets even better. The Lord said to the woman, and what is this you have done? The woman said, well, it was the serpent. You know, ten minutes ago, she could quote God. She knew, you're not supposed to eat from that tree. Well, whose fault was it? Well, the serpent. He deceived me. So God talked to the serpent. So the punishments came. Okay. Uh, verse 14 15 is the serpent's curse. The good part about that is that the prophecy is in there about the Messiah crushing his head and all that. Verse 16 is the woman's curse. Uh, God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. And your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Okay. Verse, the part, first part of 16 is what we usually talk about. Pain and childbearing. That's Eve's fault for, for sinning. But the second part we hardly ever talk about, but I think it has to do with the other things we were covering there about the headship of man and all that. Part of the curse was that Eve's desire will be for your husband, and women's desire will be for their husbands, and he will rule over you. Okay, So we read that and we think, well, that doesn't sound like a curse. A wife desires a husband. That's a good thing. Not what that word means. Uh, go to the very next page, chapter 4, verse 7. Here's what God said to Cain. And why, when, when Cain, or why Cain got in trouble. Uh, the Lord said, uh, did, 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 the middle of verse 7 there, no, verse, uh, yeah, middle of verse 7. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. That's the exact same word. God told Cain, when you don't do what's right, sin wants to run your life. Sin desires to control you. I think that's exactly what woman's curse was. God said, the wife's going to desire to control the husband, but he's the ruler. He's the head of the house, but she's not going to like that. I think that's part of the curse. I think it's responsible for a lot of troubles in this world where we get that relationship out of whack. Part of the curse. Then Adam's curse Verse 17 through 19, you're going to have to work harder, uh, curse the ground because of you. You'll have to toil to, there'll be thorns and thistles and all that. Uh, by the sweat of value, eat your food till you return to the ground since it was from you were taken, thus you'll return. So Adam got the curse of having to work and toil and all that instead of enjoying the, uh, the easy, if you want to use that word, toil or beneficial work that he was doing. Another consequence, verse 21, first blood sacrifice. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And I imagine he made them watch. I imagine God said, all right, now that you're naked and ashamed, we got to clothe you. So come over here, I'll show you how to do that. Adam had named all the animals and God had him call one over. 
Fifi or Fido or whatever he was. And I imagine that's the way Adam thought of him. These are our friends. This is who we live with. And God said, come over now, slit his throat. Now skin him. Think that was a little shocking to Adam and Eve? Yeah, that's what had to happen when you sin. There's got to be a sacrifice. And that's when God began teaching that with blood sacrifices. And, of course, the end of it, verse 22 and 23, uh, they were going to die. Now that they were out of the garden, uh, didn't have eternal uh, life that they'd been created for, uh, they were going to have to die. So those are the consequences. A lot of those consequences are the same ones we uh, deal with today. Okay, a lot of lessons in the fall there. So chapter 3 explains all of that, and hopefully that helps us understand the serpent and the troubles he causes us and the consequences if we don't keep the order right and don't uh, remember to listen to God. Last thing I put on there, you can read at home. Uh, we do get a lot of questions about chapter 6 in Genesis, probably the next hot topic that people wonder about. And people have dreamed up all kinds of crazy theories about that, but uh, I tried to explain it fairly briefly about the sons of God marrying the, the daughters of men. So we won't take time to publicly discuss it, but you got the notes there. All right, the lesson is yours. If you're here tonight and need to respond in some way to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you. Carl's going to come lead us in this good song. Let's stand and sing.